Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. We're spending a second week taking a look at 1 Corinthians. We're going all the way through the scripture, but we stayed just another week here, and there were several reasons for it. We looked last week at a very divided city, a city that was ripe for just all kinds of conflict, and then a very divided church, a church that was very ripe for all kinds of conflict. In fact, it wasn't ripe, it had come into harvest. It was absolutely a conflicted, fighting, disunified church. Worship had turned into a free-for-all where competing performers interrupted each other. The Lord's Supper had degenerated from a fellowship and a remembrance meal into a competitive picnic where some people enjoyed putting on great displays of wealth and abundance while other people literally were fainting of hunger. In the middle of all of this discussion about all of these fights, and this is the thing which is odd about chapter 13, it's where it is. Had he started with chapter 13, or had he ended with chapter 13, I think it would have been a lot easier to, to grasp it, and we would be able to use it a little bit more freely, but where he put it was right in the middle of the discussion of the fight in worship, and the competition in worship. He broke right into all of those rules, drops this, and then goes back to the discussion. Now we know chapter 13, and we, we read it, but almost always out of that context. We, we lift it out as if it was a separate valentine. We read it on wed, during weddings. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. The more we read it, the better. But we read it on Valentine's Day or at uh, marriage retreats or even during sermons on love. It's our go-to passage on love. And it's obvious as you read why. But it needs to be discussed in its context. It was delivered like a bomb into the middle of a church where everybody thought they were right, they were the most important people, and God liked them best. And he drops this right in the middle of it. I was watching Facebook as it churned with the events of Paris. And uh, it, was, it was amazing. People dead in the streets, unknown number of assailants, the number of dead going up and down, not understanding what's going on. Then you take a look this week, did not make the news because it's not quite as important as what's going on in Hollywood or a presidential race, but ISIS released a video of them killing 200 children, one after another, and they're rejoicing at it. And you see all this going on, but also on Facebook, there are people that thought it was the most important thing in the world to correct somebody else who might be worshiping improperly. And you're going, oh my goodness, we need to drop 1 Corinthians 13 into the middle of this again. Somehow we have gotten our priorities mixed up and we need to go back to this passage. There's some very daunting language here. Let's take a look at it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now that's amazing. Have you ever had somebody just read you the riot act and tear you up and down, but saying, I'm only doing this because I love you? Interesting, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 13 says, love doesn't dishonor others. Love doesn't do that. 
We have so warped the idea of love that we've made it another sledgehammer that we can use to swing against others. This language is so daunting, it's hard to measure up against it. And so I suggested an e-blast, and also I put it on Facebook, I want you to go through and write 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter out. But every time it says love, or if you're reading King James Version, charity, put in your name. And then read it out loud every day for a month. See what happens. Now, there are a lot of good psychological reasons for reading it out loud every day for a month. But my point was to show people how daunting it is to actually say out loud these things about you. Because what happens is you realize how far away we are from the standard. And it's a corrective. You see, it's rather like this. It's one thing to pray every, t- every time you pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. It's a whole other thing to name the sins you've committed. Because when you do, you hold yourself accountable because you know you've got to come back and have this discussion again. And if you've not moved any, that becomes a part of the discussion. And so we read about love and we put this out and we wonder, this is not emotional, this is not giddy, this is a very high standard and God even wonder, is this even a healthy standard? I mean, should we always believe? Should we always be hopeful? Should we always persevere? And where's the place for good old realism? Where's the place for good old this is the way it is? Could it be that we use the word love so differently than the way God uses it that we've lost us? We've lost the plot. He has told us he is love. And then he has said, this is what love is. He told us, let me say it again. He is love. Go through the chapter again. Didn't tell you to do this in e-blast. Go through it again. Write it out again. But every time it says love or charity, put in God. God always hopes. God always trusts. God always perseveres. Put in God. And then realize that's what he is talking to us about. It's about him and about us. But before you can really get that, we've got to get it in context. And you know, in context, you usually have to go back a few verses. So we're going to go back a few verses here to Genesis chapter 1, because we've got to go way back to get this in context. And if you're thinking, Genesis chapter 1, we'll never get to lunch. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Thursday, Friday, latest. You'll get there. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. That's all, I I want to look at that first part. Let us make mankind, ladies, that's you as well. It means humans. In our image and in our likeness. The first image, that's a gift. You, you didn't ask for that. that was, you were made in the image of God. That's a gift. Likeness, that's the goal. Get it? The image of God was your gift. It was given to you. The likeness of God is what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. You cannot worship God if you do not try to be like God. And if you're like God, all the chapters on both sides of, of chapter 13 aren't necessary anymore. Because you're no longer fighting, you're sharing, you're giving, you've changed. Here's a new word for many of you, theosis. It means a process through which the people of God 
become more and more like God. As Peter would put it, they become partakers of the divine nature. We become more and more like our Father. Irenaeus said, through his transcendent love, Jesus Christ became what we are, that we might make us what he is. Could we hold that slide up for a bit? Jesus Christ became what we are, that he might make us what he is. Sadly, most of us spend our time trying to do the reverse. We try to make Jesus Christ what we are, and what we like, and what we want, and what we prefer. When he says, no, you're supposed to be coming this direction. Back in the old days, the front seats were a front seat. There weren't two seats divided by a large plastic thingy. And you didn't even have seat belts unless you paid extra. And those were wonderful times in many ways. Many didn't survive them, but still. <laughs> and whenever you took curves, do you remember all sliding to one side of the car? Yes, yes. On a date, I would only take right-hand curves because that would bring her over. I don't care how hard she's holding on to that door. If I hit the accelerator at the right point, physics is physics. She's coming. Uh, so used to call those CTMB curves for come to me baby. Uh, and <laughs> the story is told. Now, it's a preacher's story, so it probably didn't happen. But story is told of an old man and old woman driving down the road. And the woman goes, do you know something? Do you remember when we used to sit next to each other? Because you'd see that. You'd see the two-headed thing driving the cars. <laughs> and they, she, he said, yeah. She said, whatever happened? Drove a few more miles, and he said, I didn't move. <laughs> God's calling us over to his side. And every so often, we'll look up and say, where is God? He didn't move. Maybe we've been looking for God in all the wrong places, and maybe we eased away. Jesus became what we are so that he might make us what he is. Eastern Orthodox churches spend a lot of time on that, but Protestant churches ignore it, and that's why they keep dividing, and that's why they're losing influence. They teach that Jesus desires salvation for us, but the Eastern Orthodox church and the older Christians teach us he, requires, he, he wants much more than just salvation. He wants transformation. He wants relationship. Think about this. Our relatives are our relatives because of blood. That wasn't their choice, wasn't our choice, just kind of happened. There it is. But the relationship, we have to work on the relationship. You know, my relationship to my son in blood, that was settled a long time ago. But relationship is something we work on all the time. Same with my daughter. Same with, with anybody. Relationship. God calls us to that relationship. And the way to, to have that relationship is to become like him. This isn't a find the proper ritual, obey the right rules, behave yourself, and maybe you'll be saved religion. God places something before us much bigger, much better. Become agents of heaven now. Be like God here, now. Transform yourself. Transform your behavior. And if we become more like him, since he is love, we've got to talk about love. In Job, 
we come across a terrible story of God and Satan battling over a man. And as we talked about when we looked at it months ago, that the lesson in the book isn't that God will reward the faithful. The, the lesson is God wants a relationship with us that can survive the worst the devil can throw at us. That's why even in weddings, we'll say, for better or worse, we don't look at the young couple and say, hey, guys, it all gets better from here. No, we even try to warn them off, don't we? Richer, poorer, sickness, and in health. It's just kind of like, this is your last chance to abandon ship. We let them know, it's going, you are now promising, no matter what happens, the love stays. And God says, that's what I'm asking. That's what I'm looking for. And that's the book of Job. The devil is convinced that you are not worthy of relationship with God. And that's what he's been trying to prove since Eden, that you are not worthy. I would suggest that you don't agree with him. Whenever you're depressed, whenever you're down, as many of us get that way, whenever you're anxious and you're thinking, I, am, I have fallen so far, I am not worthy, quit agreeing with the devil. Instead, remember that God said, if you find yourself on the other side of the car, he didn't say it quite this way, scoot over. Just come back. Whosoever will may come. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, believes all things. The devil does not believe in us. God does. Let the weight of that hit you for a bit. God believes in us against all odds. You can say, well, what? how can you do this after ISIS? And the, no, Are you kidding? God sees all of human history arrayed in front of him, and he still believes in us. How dare we agree with his enemy? He still believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And in the process, we see his love, and we struggle toward the light so that we can be like him. In 1 John Chapter 4, a selection of verses. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how we know God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, and then remember God is love. And it changes the meaning of the chapter and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Stop right there and think of how many religious people you could think of who, if, if a modern-day minister were to say this, would start thinking of exceptions and why this doesn't really mean what it means. But it means what it means. If you live in love, you live in God. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Now do you understand 1 Corinthians 13? It is calling us to theosis. Become like Jesus. 
If you don't like the world the way that it is, change it. And I would suggest to you, and please remember, I'm not a pacifist. I'm the son of a sailor and the, and the father of a marine. I'm not a pacifist. But you're not going to fix this world with guns. You are not going to fix this world by beheading more of them than they behead of us. We can only fix this world by being like Jesus. And that's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to love somebody than to pull the trigger. I've thought about this. <laughs> it is a lot harder. It goes against our nature. Now, I don't, I'm not telling you you can't defend your family. I'm not telling you that you can't serve honorably. Please do not overread what I'm saying. I have friends that are pacifists. I'm not pacifist. We'll work it out somehow. I even had a friend once that, uh, I, after a long discussion, we said, you know, we agree to disagree on this, but we love each other. And I said, you know, if I hear screams coming out of your house, my son and I are coming in. And he said, I wish you wouldn't. And I said, well, you're a pacifist. You can't stop us. And, and we, but we're still friends. <laughs> we're still friends. But I'll tell you this. Anytime we have a chance to be like Jesus, be like Jesus. The world is the way it is because we've not done what we've been told to do. We've not been like Jesus. We've allowed ourselves to react in human ways, not in his ways. Be like him, love like him. In Romans chapter eight and verse 29, the scripture says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Theosis. He wants us to be like him. Remember, image, that was a gift. Likeness, that's our goal. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God wants a big family, and you're all invited. All of you, whosoever will may come. And that was Christ's purpose in the beginning, that image and likeness thing. The sin of Adam and Eve was that they tried to shortcut this. They tried to get to the image of God by eating fruit. That's not the way it works. God had no problem with us being like him. That was a lie of the devil. God has no problem with us being like him. That's what he's going for. But he knows we can't get there by shortcuts. And we're not gonna get there by worshiping correctly either. We're not gonna get there by establishing our churches in a certain way and by memorizing certain passages. It is a transformation of character into the likeness of God. And that's hard work. Back in the 60s, people tried to get enlightenment through LSD. And Timothy Leary. People tried to get en uh, enlightenment by crossing their legs and holding their hands out and going om and meditating. They tried to get enlightenment by going on pilgrimages. And like, and so, some write books, uh, books with, here are the steps to enlightenment. Here are the steps to success. Some try law, discipline, externalism, muscle their way into the kingdom. And yet both John and Paul tell us we have to do the hard work, become conformed to the image of Christ. And that means faith, hope, and love against the odds. We become by grace what God is by nature. 
But that does not excuse us from the task laid out before us. There are no shortcuts, even if they're sacrificial shortcuts, like in 1 Corinthians 13. What if I give my body to be burned? If you're not loving, it's not helpful. Even sacrifice doesn't help unless it's love. Speaking so wonderfully lets you sound like angels. Not enough. Knowing everything about the Bible, being a prophet, giving away everything your own. No, that's without love, that's nothing. There is no other route to transformation into the image of Christ than faith, hope, and love. Loving like God does is hard. So look again. Love is patient. Love is kind. Put God's name in there. It does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs, yea. God does not delight in evil. God rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Does that help you? Get that chapter into your heads? It's amazing once you realize what it's about. This is hard. You want spiritual gifts and incredible worship? Great. By the way, I didn't say we didn't sing well without you. I said I missed you. I said Mark didn't sing well without you. No, I didn't. I did not. I did not. But it was great. 59 of you on the trip. That was fantastic. The fellowship. I want you to think for a minute. How many of these people you would have spent a weekend with and enjoyed and been at peace with had it not been for Jesus Christ? I'd submit to you, you wouldn't even have known most of them. How about the ladies that went on their trip this week? They went on up to Indiana and had a great time, came back. My wife was singing the praises of the people that organized it and put it together. Who would we have known without Jesus? Who would have done this for each other without Jesus? Jesus changes everything. Hard love. Love against the odds. Difficult love. A love that refuses to quit a persistent love. I want you to love like your children want to stay awake. <laughs> I can remember calling back home from a trip a long time ago. My, my son was just a wee boy, and I said, how's everything? And she goes, well, Cammy says, well, Duncan has become toaster boy. That's what we call them. When you put them in bed, they're out, you know, and you put them in, they're out. I said, well, I'll have a word with him when I get home. And I came home, had a word with him. He's got to go to bed. Yes, he did. And then he must have forgotten I was home because after a little while, he, you know, here he comes. You hear the little feet coming. And, you know, we're hiding the ice cream under the, you know, seats. And because um, we always get the good food out when the kids went to bed. Um, and he's standing there saying, I'm saying, go to bed. And he said, I don't want you. Go to bed. You know, why? Because we're having a devotional and it's, it's melting. Um, <laughs> But you learned with your kids, all you have to do is put them in bed one more time, then they get out. Be persistent. Don't quit, because if you lose this one, the teenage years are not fun. <laughs> love that persistently, too. No matter how many times they attack you, love them back. Never fail. Love. Our salvation, our hope is based entirely upon God's continuing love, that he will not lose patience with us. Job's friends told him that God would stop loving him eventually. 
In fact, they thought the evidence already supported that idea because they saw the hell in his life and thought, well, well, hell is God's love cannot be, and they were wrong. You can be in the middle of hell, and God's love is still there. The devil was convinced we wouldn't do the hard work of love. He was certain we would turn from God and run after the shortcuts or quit in despair. And the sad thing is that the devil was right too many times. I'm going to read an extract, and then I'm going to step on down and call up the team. Let me just read this first. This is the oldest complete Christian sermon we have outside of the New Testament. It was penned sometime about 130 A.D. by Clement, a bishop. When the pagans hear from our mouths the oracles of God, they marvel at their beauty and greatness. But when they discover that our actions are not worthy of the words we speak, they turn from wonder to blasphemy, saying it's a myth, a delusion. For when they hear from us that God says, it is no credit to you if you love those who love you, but it is a credit to you if you love your enemies and those who hate you. When they hear those things, they marvel at such extraordinary goodness. But when they see that we, do, we not only do not love those who hate us, but do not even love those who love us, they scornfully laugh at us, and the name is blasphemed. Doesn't that just break your heart? That we have too often, by our character or attitude, agreed with the devil. Don't agree with the devil. Would you bring your team on up, please? I'm going to ask the rest of you to stand. As I work my way around the, the wonderful gifts you're bringing, God calls us to look at 1 Corinthians 13 as a template for our life. He wants us to hope in him like he hopes in us. He wants us to believe in him like he believes in us. He wants us to love him as he loves us. And he wants us to share that faith, hope, and love with everyone we meet. That's hard work. But that is the only road to transformation. There are no shortcuts on the road to God. There's only the hard work of faith, hope, and love. May God bless us that we follow him.